All right, today we'll be in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 21, and this is Genesis class 11. Genesis class 11, Genesis 3 verse 21. Let's read down to the verse 24. We'll read verse 21 through 24, and we'll try to cover these four verses of Scripture. And it may be a short class. I'm not exactly sure about that yet, but it may be a short class because I do want to pick up chapter 4 in a different class. I want to start fresh. At verse one in chapter four with a different class, so I don't want to I don't want to bleed these things together if I can help it. But let's read verse twenty one through twenty four, and then we'll come back up and go through it uh, as far as commentary goes. Verse twenty one: Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand, and take also of the tree of life, and eat, and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden, to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims, and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Now up in verse 21, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. Now here is a place that's generally the topic of great private interpretation. The Bible says in first, uh, second, uh, Peter, second Peter chapter number 1, it says that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation and so I would caution you very strongly and I would charge you very strongly to take the Bible at face value and not read anything into it that's that's number one not in the scripture itself and number two that's not insinuated or has any support in another passage of scripture and in this case I believe we certainly do have a great amount of private interpretation that's been placed upon this verse and a lot of that probably has to do with the Schofield note on the verse the Schofield note says the coats of skins are types of Christ made unto us righteousness a divinely provided garment that the first sinners might be made fit for God's presence and so that's a very uh, that's a very uh, I guess a uh, great statement and, and it is something that you could derive from it. You could, you could certainly go to the New Testament and that you could say that certainly Jesus did cover us in his blood. He covered us in his righteousness. And if you wanted to uh, compare imputed righteousness back to these coats of skin that the Lord covered them, they covered themselves with fig leaves. And then the Lord covered them with these coats of skins. You certainly could make application. You certainly could preach that. It certainly would be a great illustration. Genesis 3.21 would make a great illustration to show the same happenstance, the same operation of God. Just like God covered Adam and Eve with coats of skin, God covered you with His righteousness. He applied His blood. He sealed you with His Spirit. He gave you His imputed righteousness. That certainly can be said. What you want to be careful about is the private interpretation that tells you that God instituted a lawful form of sacrifice in this act of killing this animal and shedding its blood and providing them coats of, uh, coats of skins. The Bible says He made coats of skins and clothed them. Now what you want to be very careful about is that you don't 
insinuate that there is a law here that establishes salvation for Adam and his children throughout the generations leading up to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob uh, in which they were saved in any way, shape, or form or that they were obedient to some sort of commandment which said that they had to kill these animals themselves. It is true that uh, Abel... Through his desire to worship, he did make a sacrifice. But to say that that sacrifice or Noah's sacrifice or Abraham's sacrifice was as a result of some command that God told them to recreate whatever took place in Genesis 3.21 is an absolute fallacy. There is no law. There is no law. Again, there is no law from Adam to Moses. Read it in the New Testament. Read it in the book of Romans. There is no law. And where there is no law, then those transgressions are not imputed to them. And in this case, it, it certainly does spread out into some great New Testament doctrines, into some New, New Testament revelations. There is no law. There is no law from Adam to Moses. There is no law from Adam to Moses. There is no law that Abraham had to follow. He was a man of faith. He was God's friend. He was obedient to God and he believed God. He believed God and God gave him his righteousness. There is no law to follow from Genesis to Revelation. So be sure that you don't put any private interpretation there just because you can see typology there. Typology and life do not always match. They do not always match 100%. You can use typology to illustrate New Testament truth and illustrate Old Testament truth as well. But you certainly can't take typology and turn it into a law that bound Abraham or bound Isaac or bound Abel or bound Cain. No, sir. These were acts of will worship. These were acts of will, wor of will worship. Even in the New Testament, the Bible says that some, some codes, actual uh, wisdom that has been applied to touch not, taste not, they look like commandments, but the Bible calls them will worship. Will worship. To not touch a thing, to touch a thing, to worship. God said the man that that eats and gives thanks, and the man that doesn't eat and give thanks, they're both serving God. It's a matter of the will, a matter of devotion. And that's the same thing that was taking place when uh, Abel made a sacrifice. Cain made a sacrifice as well. He done that out of his will, but God didn't accept that. wasn't proper. wasn't proper. It was not proper. It was an accursed thing because it came out of the ground. And Adam came out of the ground. And that is exactly the context of verse 22 and 23 and 24. He said, The Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Now he's a fallen man. The law is not applicable to him. Uh, death is certainly applicable to him because he has stepped outside of the realm of obedience. He stepped outside of his charter for living. He has stepped outside of his, uh, his realm of survival because he has got outside of the uh, fellowship of his Lord and Maker. But he says, the Lord says, the Lord says, if this fallen, degenerate man takes of this tree of life and eats, he'll live forever. So there, this, this tree, the point that I'm trying to make here is the tree is not a fable. It's not a typology. It's not s some 
construct that Moses came up with to teach a moral lesson. The tree of good and evil and the tree of life were real trees. The tree of good and evil killed them. Just like the tree of life could have kept them alive as long as they eat off of it. So the Lord God expelled them out of the garden because of it. He did not expel them from the garden for the sake of a moral similitude or a, a good teaching lesson as most of the, the scholars would say that the tree of life was or the tree of good and evil was. These were actual things. If they were not actual things then God wouldn't do actual events like expelling them from the garden because of the fact if they ate of the tree they would live. That is not something you do with a, with a, with a teaching item or a teaching uh, Symbol or a similitude. That's not that you can't say that the tree of life was just a good uh, uh, lesson or it was a typology in order to teach good uh, disobedience and uh, obedience and stuff like that. You can't say that because if that's all that it was, then there's no there's no need to expel Adam from the garden to keep him away from it. You don't need to keep Adam away from an object lesson. Because an object lesson can't keep you alive forever. But the Lord said this actual tree that's in an actual garden can keep this man that is fallen in his nature alive forever. So the Lord took, this, took him out of the presence of this tree. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden. And there's a purpose to till the ground from whence he was taken. Now God is going to take this man. God took the man from the ground. He put him in a garden that God himself had prepared. God took the man from the ground. God put him over as the head of a garden that produced many wonderful things. The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is a couple of those items that that garden obviously produced. But God had given the man the perfect environment with the perfect job, with the perfect wife, and with the perfect future, and the man had made a mess of it. So God takes that man that he made from the ground out of the garden to work the ground himself. God made the man from the ground. That man is now fallen, and so that man is now having to work from the same ground, live from the same ground, labor on the same ground from which he was taken. And the only thing that man can produce out of that ground is perishables. You grow cucumbers, they're going to die. You grow uh, corn, it's going gonna, it's gonna to die. It's going to shrivel up and die. You're going to have to water it. You're going to have to, you're gonna have to uh, tend it. You're going to have to upkeep it. And the wild beasts are going to get in. You're going to have to keep them out. The worm is going to get on it and ruin it. You're going to have to keep them out. You're going to pick it and it's going to rot before you can eat it. You're going to have to find a way to uh, sustain it, freeze it, keep it cool, make it last as long as possible. Everything that man makes out of the ground is perishable because the devil convinced man that if he would eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he would be as gods. Well, if you're gods, make a man out of the ground. If you're a god... God made you out of the ground. If you're a God, sustain yourself from this ground. God made you from the ground and could have kept you alive forever. Now, since you want to be God's, make something out of this ground that lasts forever. Chop down a tree and make a house that will live forever. Take the, take the mud and the brick and, or take the mud and form it into bricks and make a, 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 a stone structure that will last forever. 
It's just not possible. It's just not possible for a man to do these things out of the ground. And one of the lessons in life, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. That's one of the historical lessons that we learn is that man cannot live up to God's standards. We, we, we must need Christ. We must have Christ. We must get to Christ. The law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. A lesson that we learn without the law is that everything that we produce is perishable. We are not gods. We are not gods. And the only way that this world could be sustained is by God. The only way that this universe, that it spends energy uh, with an untold number of expenditure. I just I couldn't imagine to tell you how much energy is expended within a 24-hour period by this universe. And here it goes on year after year and decade after decade. I couldn't, I, those, those numbers cannot be numbered. And yet all that man can produce is 70 years of, of some grief and some happiness and then everything that he builds falls apart and goes back to dust and uh, just like the man himself. And man has, man has had the proof shown to him since the days of Adam that we are not gods. And that, just like the law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, this ground that we toil from, yet we can't produce anything that's infinite from it and long-lasting from it or everlasting from it, should teach us to call on God who made us. And so that is a great lesson that's intended for us to learn here in this passage of Scripture. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. God took us from it. Now as far as mankind goes, we've survived all these many years while many of God's creations, as far as the animal kingdom goes, have gone back to dust and are with us no more. Many of God's creatures have went extinct, some by the help of man, some by, some by nature itself. But what I'm trying to tell you is that is God's preserved us in a more in a more enclosed situation, if you boil it down to a to a smaller group of people, the nation of Israel has lasted all these years. They've been persecuted. They've been run from their homelands. They've they've failed. Uh, the world has failed to assimilate them into their own customs and cultures. Not to say that Israel's untouched by the world or or that their culture is un. Uh, uninfluenced by other people's cultures it certainly is true but yet they retain their identity to this day they're alive and well to this day they number as the sand of the sea just as God promised unto this day and in that same sense God is the sustainer and we should see that in the world what we how we work the ground and can't produce from it and how that God uh, allows things to continue on uh, but by God's power not by our own power and then God is able to sustain the universe when it loses a great amount of energy every day and it would seem that that eventually these things would burn out and we would cease to exist as a universe or as a planet as our solar system it would seem like all those things uh, are impossible to go on year after year, but God sustains those, yet we're not able to sustain a patch of dirt for 60 or 70 years. Isn't that, isn't that, uh, isn't that a great lesson to how much we should trust in the Lord and how much we should give Him the credit and the praise and the glory for being a sustainer of our lives, of our livelihood, of our generations, of our countries, 
uh, of our children that will carry on after us. Uh, it should be a great lesson. Then one day the Lord will come back as King of Kings and he'll restore all these things such as the Garden of Eden, the Tree of Life will be there in the book of Revelation. God will do great things. God has done great things for man and God will do great things for man. But he will not do that until he proves the point that he's trying to prove to Adam here. It is we that need God. We don't need ourselves to become gods. We need our God to sustain us and to guide us and to be our king and to give us our direction just as he did when he made the earth and the heavens and man. In Genesis chapter 1, he made us all for that purpose. Not only to be uh, in fellowship with him, but to be sustained by him, to be led by him, to be guided by him, to be instructed by him, to fellowship with him. These things are the things that God made man for, and we ought to try to live up to those things. Working in the dirt. Any man that works in the dirt ought to, at the end of the day, bow his knee and say, O God, Thou sustainer of heaven and earth, help me and walk with me and guide me and forgive me of my sins and forgive me of my shortcomings and help me to survive another day. That's why in the prayer that the Lord taught his disciples, he said, give us this day our daily bread. Help me today, sustain me today. And when I wake up tomorrow, sustain me then, sustain me forevermore. Amen. So he says in verse number 24, so he drove out the man. And he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubim. That'd be terrible news. It is terrible news. But it'd be very terrible news if Jesus Christ hadn't showed up. So he drove out the man. That's a very sad statement. But I'm glad he reclaimed the man. The Bible says Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. This relationship that is ruined. This relationship that is lost. This relationship that is destroyed here between Adam and God. That same relationship is restored. In, in the Gospels when Jesus came walking among men to seek and to save that which was lost. So he drove out the man. I'm glad he regathered the man. You say, when did he do that? When he died on the cross for my sins. Isn't that a wonderful story? So he drove out the man. If that was a period and the story ended there, if death reigned supreme forever and for eternity, that'd be an awfully sad story. If we were left to our devices until the sun did run out of energy, until our planet did run out of resources, until our cosmos did turn back into the dust of time, if we were left with that, that would certainly be a terrible thing, but we weren't left with that. Christ, uh, God drove out the man. Christ restored the man. Christ redeemed the man. Christ was the propitiation for our sins and restored our relationship with God. Isn't that a wonderful thing? So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Now a lot of things could be said about that. I believe in the flood this land was destroyed. This land was hidden. Could be still there somewhere today. In my heart of hearts, I believe that the Garden of Eden is lying somewhere at the bottom of the Mediterranean. I probably couldn't prove that, but I believe that's probably so. If you look at the if you look at the Garden of Eden and the rivers that flowed out of it, one flowed down to one flowed down to Ethiopia, 
and one a couple of them flowed over towards the east and one turned down towards uh, I think the east or I believe that anyway I believe that could maybe flow the same way the Jordan River flowed but if you look at the way those rivers flow out and where they flowed from and where they flowed to it looks like the Garden of Eden was probably right there somewhere where the where the Mediterranean Sea is today and perhaps that was created during the flood I don't know that for sure but it certainly does look like that to me and I probably wouldn't teach that as a doctrine but it certainly does look like that to me it's interesting to think about so I don't believe that anywhere on the planet today there's a cherubim standing out there if you run across him you write me and let me know but at any rate I believe that at the time of Adam and at the time of his sons and all, probably all the way up to Noah himself you could have walked over to that place and probably saw that cherubim standing guard I certainly do believe that because that's what the Bible says we're going to put this cherubim here and he's going to turn aside any person that would try to get through to that tree of life to keep the way of the tree of life to keep men from getting to it if they could have got to it they'd live forever the Bible says that's in verse number 22 so I take it at its word it's a wonderful and a mysterious thing makes me wonder a little bit about what all was going on back before the flood I certainly do know it was a lot different than it is today but I do know this it's not that way anymore since Noah we live in a different atmosphere we live on a planet that's, that runs and has a different economy it has a different atmosphere it has a, di- it has a different uh, it has a different makeup I believe that there's a lot of things different about this earth after the flood than it was before the flood some of that stuff we'll never know until the Lord comes back but we can certainly see some glimpses of things that make us wonder with amazement at the things that took place before the flood and how men lived before the flood Uh, many years they lived and accomplished great things in the years that they lived and marvelous things probably probably some some leftovers from that society that men could probably dig up in this day and time. Uh, But still you'll be left with speculation. One day we'll know even as we're known. The Lord will reveal to us all these things. But at least now we can look at the scripture and try to get as much out of it as we can. Next time we'll start with Genesis chapter 4. And we'll pick up in verse number 1. Alright, thanks for joining me today. We'll see you next time.